0: obsessed with all things ovine, there is seriously something about sheep and always something new to learn about keeping, breeding and farming them. Welcome to the Sheep Show podcast. I'm Jill Noble from Holston Valley Farm and Sheep Stud and your host. The Sheep Show podcast exists to help you no matter where you are in the world, what sheep you breed, what size your flock is, This podcast will help your sheep knowledge and your shepherding confidence grow. And it's a two-way street. I love to hear from you and find out how your sheep journey is going. Contact me via Instagram at Halston Valley Farm or via email jill at halstonvalleyfarm.com.au. Come along on this episode as we explore the amazing world of sheep and sheep farming together. Welcome to this episode of The Sheep Show Podcast. And you know I like to bring you famous people. Well, (laughs) I've got probably one of the most famous butchers in the country with me. I've got Lockie Waters from Uni Plaza meets with us today. And we're going to get a bit of an insight into what life is like as a butcher and also... A bit of an insight into what we should be looking for in a quality carcass. So, welcome, Lockie. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Nice, Joe. How are you?
0: Really good. Thanks. Really good. So, tell us a little bit um, about your career as a butcher. How long have you been a butcher for? Where are you a butcher? Why did you become a butcher?
1: Um, so I'm 23. The meat industry started when I started my career in the meat industry was in 2013 out in Country Queensland. I was a wash up boy. And then that was when I was 14. Um, I washed up for about 12 months and then I got offered a school-based apprenticeship. So I took that. I did that through to year 12 and then out in rural Queensland, things were quite tough in the butchery. I was working in closed down, unfortunately, mm-hmm. which then led me to move to Toowoomba where I completed my apprenticeship with Uni and Meats um, back in September 2018. Mm-hmm. After butchering and then I managed a shop for two years, on the 14th of September 2020, I purchased the shop. I was 21 years old. Wow. Um, and then fast forward to today, we build a good relationship and reputations buying high quality products that we source within the hundred Ks of the shop's front door. So.
0: Oh, that's amazing. Like it, what is a wash up for?
1: Um, just doing the dishes. I'd scrub the floor, wash all the dishes, um, yeah, fill the mints and sausage in the showcase. But yeah. Yeah, start at the bottom pretty much.
0: Wow. So that's the that's the the person who sort of cleans up after all the other butchers.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, Every butcher gosh. pretty much starts there. Um, yeah. And a lot of them was when they were 14 as well. So,
0: Wow, amazing. And what made you get a, a job, get your first job in a in a butcher shop? What made you do that?
1: Uh, it's actually funny. None of my family is a butcher. It was just grandma happened to go in there and they are looking for a butcher and the butcher, uh, looking for a cleanup kid, sorry. The butcher asked her if she knew of anyone and then it was school holiday, so grandma came home rang me and i started that afternoon
0: oh my goodness i haven't
1: looked back yeah
0: wow that's amazing and to i mean we we know that like a a butcher's apprentice it's it's tough life it really is quite a tough life to to do that so um good on you for being able to turn that into a business so quickly
1: yeah thank you very much it's um it is the big days and stuff it's long it's a Hard adjustment for a young fella, especially yeah. um, for a first job. But, yeah, yeah. No, it's rewarding.
0: It is, absolutely. Yeah, it is. No, I mean, I have to say working directly with with our local butchers here, the, the, having a good relationship with a butcher, whether you're a customer or, you know, you're, you're in a business-to-business relationship, it's just invaluable. It really is. It's such a oh,
1: good thing. 100%. That's one of the biggest things with you've got to – Make that relationship with your butcher. There's a lot of people that um, I think they they think they can't. I had a fellow come in the other day, and that's what he was like. Oh, I've been shopping up the road, not really happy, but I didn't want to come in here straight away and ask for your best cuts and this and that. And I said, that's what it's all about. We'll um, get to know each other and yeah, build a relationship. Isn't
0: that so good? That's so so good. Yeah, it's so so good. I mean, you think about you know, you go to your local town and you think about having a steak in the local pub, where does that steak come from? Probably the local butcher.
1: Yeah, you know? exactly. It's, yeah. And I think now um, there's a lot more education about it. People are caring more where their stuff comes from. So that is really good.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. So we um, got to know you at the Butcher's Wars in Melbourne uh, and you did very well there. So tell us a little bit about the win that you had at Meatstock in the Butcher's Wars.
1: Yeah, so back at Meatlock in Melbourne, I um, was lucky enough to be able to ask to go down there to compete for the Queensland team, which Mm. is on the same weekend. So then we also did the Butcher Wars. Um, It was my first ever Butcher Wars, so I had no idea what to expect. Going down there, all I knew that there was going to be some really big-name guys there that I've looked up to for years. I always see their stuff on social media, Mm. and it was just blown away with the products they produce. But once I got there, I'm more than happy to talk to us young butchers, give us ideas, Um, just talking and they reinsured us that it would be fine walking out in front of thousands of people with well, one of your own half limbs over our shoulder. <laughs> but yeah, and no, it was a great experience. I was luckily, I got second and then I got best butcher under 30. So that no, was under wow. experience down there.
0: Great stuff. And you were just telling me that you also did the Toowoomba Butcher's Wars as well, which was your, would, would have been your local one.
1: Yeah, yeah. So two weeks after Melbourne, we had the Toowoomba mm-hmm. one. I um, got third there in Young Butcher again. But yeah, same thing. Um, there's a lot of different butchers there. And yeah, it's great to network with them, build relationships with them. Yeah, it's really good. Certainly.
0: Some of the butchers on social media, they're they're they've got a huge following. It's they're really quite the sort of the Kardashians, aren't they?
1: Yeah, exactly. That's one of the butchers at um Melbourne Meatstock. He's a celebrity butcher, I call him, there's like yeah. 25,000 followers on Instagram and, yeah, that's crazy.
0: Incredible. Just incredible. Oh, it's just incredible. That's fabulous. So what do you think are some of the benefits of of you and indeed all the other butchers participating in something like Meat Stock and, and Butcher's Wars? What does that do for you?
1: Um, it's great for publicity. Like I come up to Toowoomba, they'd known I'd gone to Melbourne. I had yeah. the news crews ringing, wanting to meet at the venue to. Do interviews and stuff because I knew I'd been to the Melbourne one, yep. had success in there. So, just stuff like that. Also, putting on our Facebook, all our customers are seeing it. Mm-hmm. They all love that. Yeah. I was lucky at Toomba, um, one of my apprentices, he also did it. Um, so, yeah, it was great to have us both there. And, wow. especially being local, all of our customers, that's who the crowd was. So, that's great. Isn't that
0: great? Isn't that fabulous? Just to think about that. Yeah. What way to build your reputation and your presence by participating.
1: Yeah, yeah exactly. Sure. And on that's for the business. On the other half, just meeting all those butchers that you've looked up to for years, um, building relationships with them. You've got their <laughs> phone numbers now, I can call them if I've got any questions about anything. Yeah. And yeah, it's really good.
0: That's fabulous. I think so. Some of my many of us probably took just took our butchers for granted, you know. And, and you think it, no matter whether you buy directly from a butcher, you know, to for us to get get a a piece of meat on a plate. The butcher has had to handle every single piece of meat somewhere.
1: Yeah, yeah there's a massive process even yeah. from the farmers to the avatars to the butchers, yeah. It's, and I think it's only now that it's becoming, before butchers were nothing, but now it's becoming more and more aware of the actual process that goes yes. into creating one chop, one steak. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Behind
0: it. it is, absolutely, and I know, I know what it's like when we do a little bit of butchering um on the farm we have deer here which we we are allowed to to um dispose of I suppose and um you know when we get a carcass and I'm generally the one who does it I know I make such a hack job of it but I still have a go but it's hard it's really yeah. hard
1: yeah and I do a big job to yeah. take it from yeah just a carcass to all the different cuts
0: yeah yeah it really really is oh good on you that's really good and and um, I hope you know if some other butchers are listening in that they think about participating in this. Just just had um Sydney um meat stock uh, and butcher's wars, but um you can think about getting ready for next year. And they 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 do it all over the place, don't they? Now the event. Yeah,
1: I'm pretty they're so happy with so I'm pretty sure it'll be Melbourne, from the Sydney. Brilliant So yeah, it's a chance for all the way up the coast for That's to fabulous. Have to go.
0: Yeah, that's fabulous. That really is. And um, again, it just really helps us to understand the, the skill um, that goes into it all. Uh, and talking about um, skill, obviously, for, for us and a lot of my listeners, we produce lamb as um, as meat producers and primary producers. And uh, I know what it's like trying to choose a lamb to go off to the abattoir, but you get to see the carcasses when they arrive in, in your shop. So... When you see different carcasses, what is it that you look for in a in a carcass, and particularly a carcass of lamb? What do you what do you really want to see?
1: Um, at the start, when they first come in, all about the size, the weight of them, hmm. um, how many fat they've got, and the tags all tell us that. Now they've been they're all graded. Yeah. Um, then once we start breaking down, how big the eye muscle is, like consistent coverage over the whole lamb. Um, for like my shop, an ideal lamb would be. That twenty-two to twenty-four kilos and three to four mil fat. Mm. Um, I know it's quite different down there, especially like oh, every butcher they really have their personal favourite, but mm. yeah, that's what I really do look for.
0: Mm. And and in that then that size and that fat coverage, what do you think that that does? You know, what does that do for you? being able to present the meat, what do you think that does then for the customer cooking the meat?
1: Um, mine's mainly presentation first. So like even fat all the way around just presents really well, having that nice size eye muscle mm-hmm. as well as the portion. So like lamb loin chops, you want two nice portions so you could, they could buy two. Mm-hmm. Your shoulder chops, maybe one or two smaller ones. Um, as long like your leg roast, you don't want to cut a leg in half and have a massive roast Mm. Um, and otherwise the bigger they get, it's just getting too much bone through the roast Mm. where even that 22, 24, that's a bit big for some people. I know Mm. in the case what you guys are doing, selling whole lambs, it's hard to market trying to sell a, say, 15 kilo half lamb or a 12 kilo half. Um, It just puts in that next price bracket where selling the, 20 kilos whole lambs or 10 kilo halves like you do, Mm. it's keeping that uh, price point down as a whole price. Mm.
0: Yeah. I I mean, and, um, of course, we're trying to balance the production um, costs as well, you know, how long we need to keep that lamb for to to get it up to that market weight, yeah,
1: as well. Yeah, exactly. You've got to find that happy medium for... Or for ideal for what you want to do, yeah. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. So what is it about a larger size carcass that you prefer?
1: Um, mainly just the size of the chops, mm. the way they display on our trays, the way they fit. Um, yeah, I'd, like if you go to a, say, a 19 or 18 kilo lamb you've for one serving, it's going to have to be about three loin chops, where mm. this they can get two nice big chops. And it's also in the customer's head that they don't have to, they look at it and they go, oh, I've got to buy three, six, nine of them, where they could just buy four, maybe, um, to feed husband yes. and wife, sort of thing. Where yeah, I think it's also plays in their mind that they're not buying as much. Yes, the weight's probably the same, mm. but it's psychological. Just a mind game, really. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah,
0: very psychological. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. And I know for for you know, when as a butcher, when you present, you see it like a tray of chops, it's kind of hard to, to sort of think about it, but that tray of chops has come from so many different animals. This is why consistency is so important.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like off or one side of a loin, you're only getting eight or nine chops. Mm-hmm. So to produce a whole tray or like to fill my window on a Monday morning, there's two whole lambs going in there. So
0: wow.
1: we've um yeah, we've always got to have consistent sizes. Yes. Um, and yeah, the eye muscle to go with it.
0: Yeah. You mentioned a few minutes ago about the the a large leg and how it sometimes can be too much bone T- tell me about that so are you saying there that you know if, if the animal is too big the, it, it, the the bone will keep growing is that what you're thinking in in the in the animal
1: yeah getting up to like a 30 kilo lamb it's just like their bones they're all they look like a bigger portion that they're taking up of the meat once we display a leg
0: yeah. in the window yeah yeah
1: okay All yeah right. and i think it's just it's just not quite as peeling that's there's nothing wrong with it but, yeah
0: yeah 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 it's Just interesting. Yeah, i've just, never thought of it like that before and yeah and just in terms of the bone is bigger obviously the animals yeah. have mostly to get to that weight they've had another couple of months to grow or whatever it might be
1: exactly so, yeah it's not much but um yeah once you do cut through those leg bones and the h bone especially it really shows yeah that bit bigger
0: yeah absolutely and then you you know you Customers again might not see the big picture of the production chain and uh, and query what's why is this one has, a, has a, a smaller bone and this one has a larger bone. Dogs will be happy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dogs are always happy. <laughs> I love that. And tell us about the fat coverage. Then, what what do you think? Like like for example, some people say fat is flavor. What what, what do you think about that?
1: No, I reckon 100. It is fattiest mm-hmm. flavor, yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah, just having that even, especially for a butcher side of things, we don't want to have to trim too much off. That's mm-hmm. well, that affects our bottom dollar straight away. Yeah. But yeah, to display it, if they can come in with a even um, fat around the loin, yeah. We do The less we have to trim, the better. But we don't want not enough fat. There's a yeah. half meeting with that as well.
0: Yes. And yeah, yes.
1: 3 to 4 mil um like they measure the fat on the bottom of the rump or the start of the loin.
0: Yeah.
1: And yeah, f- from that point 3 to 4 mil is perfect.
0: Mhm. Mhm. And and a carcass like you've described there, 22 24 kilos, 3 to 4 mils of fat. How long would you be hanging that for in your shop?
1: Uh we actually don't hang very long. Uh mm. so I order every Tuesday, they get taken over on a Wednesday and then They'll be processed normally on the Friday. Then I see them back Monday morning. Yeah. Um. So yeah, a couple of days over the weekend, then they're straight in the showcase mm-hmm. Monday, or so, even if we're, yeah, if we ahead. are running, order, I can order Tuesday. Uh, we could do a process Wednesday, and I can see them Thursday morning. So they might they wouldn't have been twenty four hours hanging, um, before I can get them back. Yeah. Mm.
0: So uh, this is what I've noticed. I've noticed exactly the same sort of timeline as you've just described there and and you know some people say to me oh you know they need a week to hang so how come a lamb the way you've described it there the carcass you've described how come it doesn't need a week to hang
1: uh i think it's got a lot to do with the fat coverage if it's if it was a one mil lamb very lean it'd be so sloppy and you'd need it to hang for a week to let that meat really set before you there's like eating quality is going to be fine, but just the butchering it, cutting it up is where it's makes it difficult. If um they're very lean, and I'd if we get privates in the lean, we'll hang them for longer. Just to try and get that meat to set up a bit more. Mm. But yeah, having that good fat coverage, they're fine to cut up the next day, really. Mm.
0: Mm. And that doesn't impact the taste of the meat.
1: No, no, not at all. As long as they've um, they've come down to temperature correctly yes. from the slaughter yards um, yes. they're dropped to their optimum temperature straight away the truck's running well it's delivering them and then they're going to our cold room yeah, yeah there'll be no dramas
0: yeah and I think that that is that part from the hot carcass weight to that that um, temperature that you want to sort of store that carcass that's really crucial.
1: yeah it is yeah. that's um it and it is hard it's out of our hands. That's yeah. something that happens at the slaughter yards behind closed doors. So, yeah, um, yeah we sort of same building relationships, trusting them that they're getting them in the cold room and get that temperature down,
0: yeah, yeah, as yeah.
1: quickly as possible. Yeah, yeah.
0: I guess there, there there's so much, so many inspections and things like that that, that you know they have to do that from a, a prime safe point of view.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, Ten years ago, they could have got away with leaving them out for. Probably as long as they want, but now there's everyone's onto them. Yeah, same in the shops. Even I think the butchery name got wrecked for a little bit there just because there was so much dodgy stuff going on, uh-huh. and it probably was oh, 15 years ago now. But yeah, a lot of people didn't trust some butchers what they put in their sausages and small mm. goods and stuff like that, or this and that. But yeah, now you've got to, and the competition's better too, you've got to be the best, otherwise. You just won't last in the industry. So.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really valid. And you know, when in a in a in a butcher, it's a it's a very clear indication when you get people coming back week after week because uh, you know literally they're vo- voting with their mouths, aren't they? I'm yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: yeah. At first, it's with their eyes when they see it. Then they yeah. they see p- themselves so they know exactly. Yeah. Um, as far as the smell, when they first walk into a butcher shop. Um, there. I've been to one butcher shop, and yeah, you walk in the door, and you know stuff's not right. And I had a wow. customer the other day that told me she came from a, another shop, and yeah, it's the same thing. She walked in, and knew something wasn't right straight away. So, and then she had she ended up buying. I think she said it was a kilo of sausages, and yeah, that they were the same. So she come to us.
0: Wow. And what? And what? What? What is that? Do you think is that just that the the meat isn't as fresh as it could be?
1: Yeah, exactly. It's just been hanging in the cauldron too long. Yeah. It's not fresh, yeah. It's not fresh. And once that stench is in the air, it's wafting around the shop and yeah. Yeah, customers get onto that, yeah.
0: Wow, that's incredible. I, I know exactly um, the smell you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's really cool. So um, when you see the carcass, then, Lockie, what what can you – tell about the lamb or that production environment from looking at a, at a, at a carcass hanging up?
1: Uh, well, straight away, we, as soon as they slide up our rail, we're looking at the fat, um, making sure there's nice, consistent fat all the way down, um, nice white fat as well, mm. um, just for a display point as well. But as long as they've been on good quality feed, usually there's no drums in the fat color mm. So what Um, would
0: turn, sorry to interrupt, what would turn the fat, so you're talking about white fat versus sort of kind of yellow or orange type fat. Yep. What would make fat yellow or orange?
1: In my experience, it's a lot to do with their diet and if they have been a pet, they're getting bread, they're getting scraps,
0: they're
1: having whatever they can. I think that's where the inconsistency on the diet is what they could be having good grass and then they're getting thrown the bread scraps, they're getting thrown this and that. Um, but yeah, if they're on good quality grasses all the time, mm. that's when they're gonna produce that nice white fat.
0: Mm. Yeah. Does grain make a difference? So if it, if it's consistent grain feeding, does it make like would corn make a difference, for example, or pellets?
1: Um, I believe corn would, yeah. There's a mm especially in corn-fed chickens, they're quite yellow. Mm. So I'd imagine have the same effect mm. um, on a lamb. But the, um, like grain-fed, I don't, they're not as crisp. They're still white, but I think they're more of a, uh, like a soupy white where yeah. good grass-fed lamb is just, it's really crisp. The mm. fat is hard. Yes. Um, yeah.
0: And I think it, it cooks differently too, you know, from a looking at it from the consumer point of view, the the um the fat cooks different, tastes different. Um when it's when it's not nice white fat, I think too. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah it just seems to be that bit sloppier as well. And yeah, it does cook different. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I have a friend of mine, Hannah, who when she eats, particularly when she eats um beef. She can taste the corn if it's been gra- or the grain if it's been grain fed. <laughs> yeah,
1: far <sorry. laughs> yeah, incredible good taste buds. Yeah,
0: very <laughs> incredible taste buds. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it's just so it's so good. And we um, we do these little experiments with um, different lamb just to see if we can if Hannah if Hannah can taste the difference between say um, a crossbred or um, or a pure. We, we breed Wilshire horns or pure Wilshire horn lamb and she can taste the difference. It's amazing.
1: Yeah right. Far yeah, right.
0: She's very good taste buds. So it's it's really, it's really cool. What else? What else can you tell by looking at that carcass?
1: Um well, that's the main thing to really look at is the fat and then the overall size of the carcass. Mm-hmm. Is yeah, yeah what dicks yeah. our boxes. Yes. And that's not until we start breaking it down when we do see that eye muscle and yeah.
0: the yeah. What about bruising and things like that? Can you tell if the, or, or can you tell if the animal was stressed when they were killed? You know, can you can you sort of see that sort of stuff? Or maybe um, even injections and things like that, if they've been in, you know, if they've had a, um, an, an injury from a, an injection?
1: Um, you can, but not so much as the carcass. Once we start breaking it down, we can mm-hmm. see if it's um, been stressed uh, a lot of the mm. meat will go really dark and it's sort of not fine. It goes real grainy,
0: mm. uh,
1: like it's been stretched. So like I've stressed out and yeah, it it goes dark and it's mm. hor- it's almost like sticky to touch. Mm. So I don't know if it's some sort of chemical that releases in their body yeah. or something. Yeah. Being stressed and yeah, it is and it can be very fresh lamb. Yeah, it's just sticky to touch and a bit darker yeah. than the normal stuff. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Great.
1: As so with the injection, I think the producers are they're keeping them I think it's 6 weeks after an injection. Yes. Anyway, so yeah, it should be should have it should cleared be fine. up. fine.
0: Yeah, so so and and I think a lot of the um um you know, sometimes just in the neck and and often it's 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 if particularly a young lamb, it might just you might just trim that off or some or something like that, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
0: So less less of that Um, I know my butcher has, sometimes I think that they speak their own little language (laughs) sometimes. Um, So there's some terms, there's some terms that um, my butchers used and I've had to sort of say, ah, what do you mean by that? And one of them was blueback. Is that a term that you use or you've heard?
1: Um, It's actually not. Up in Queensland, I've never heard it. I have I rang some of the butchers I've worked with when I read it, when you sent it to me and, yeah. None of them knew
0: what I was talking <gasps> about. Oh wow! Oh, there you go. Yeah. Well, my one of my butchers is he's he's a probably an old an old school butcher. Um, yeah. And he he described it as um where they, they the lamb and one of the things he can tell is that the lamb was fat, had a good fat coverage, and then they they've gone through a hard time, so they've eaten the fat on their back. So when he looks at the carcass, he can see the meat. And it looks blue.
1: Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And um,
0: yeah. And, and yeah. And, and I just couldn't believe. It. I said. So he said. Oh, they must have been on a pretty tough. Had a pretty pretty tough time lately. I said. Mm, yeah. How do you know? And yeah, he told me it's blueback jills.
1: <laughs> Far out. Never heard of it. There, there you go. go.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And you mentioned in the dark color. So and and the other thing is, we a lot of us producers talk about. Um, meat in in lamb particularly in supermarkets and how it looks so pale it looks like pork sometimes what color should lamb be and if if it is pale in the supermarket how come it's pale
1: um it should be like a bright red not a really dark red Mm. but um yeah just a good bright red i think the pale is i actually when i when the butcher shop first shut down in St George, I went to an IGA, mm. um, but it wasn't pre-packed. We had two butchers and then I was with the apprentice there and a couple of packers, so we were cutting everything there. Um, and that was fine. But I think what is there's a lot of time between when that animal's killed, processed, to it actually being on the shelves. Like I know up in Toowoomba, when we had issues with floods and stuff, mm. supermarkets didn't have stuff for weeks because all their meat was coming from a warehouse in Sydney. So that's there's probably two days there yeah. on the road, another day in a warehouse in Brisbane, um, then getting up to Palmer. By the time they get to it and unpack it, it could be five days since it's been cut, and then could be five for that when it was processed. Mm-hmm. I think that as long as as well as a lot of the um, supermarket packing now is gas flushed, mm. so they're using those trays, they're flushing with gas, and that gas would have to have a effect on the colour. Mm for sure and that's there's always a funny smell when you open a supermarket meat and yeah i believe that's what it is
0: yeah oh, wow yeah and 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 yeah so it's so and that's i think that's why you know they the packages um it's not like if you put cling wrap where it, it kind of squishes down and the air goes out of it there's actually yeah gas trapped in there and that yeah amazing
1: bulge, bulge in the package yeah. but yeah you know, I, I don't know why people Look at it. It's this pale grey, but they still put it in their trolley and buy yeah, it. Yeah, so. no,
0: like, well, I think that's the thing. They, they, they often just don't know any different.
1: No, exactly.
0: They don't know any different, and it's not until they they either buy direct or buy from a butcher, buy direct effectively from a butcher, because it's exactly the same thing, really, when you think about it. Yeah,
1: that's it. Yeah, it's
0: the same thing. Um, then you you really notice the difference. Like I know a lot of our customers they. If, if if it's a choice between supermarket lamb and no lamb, they will go no lamb, and they'll just eat something else.
1: Yeah, yeah. Once they're educated, they'll yeah. come to that. Yeah, but yeah. there's a that's the biggest thing now is just educating everyone, mm-hmm. and I think it's happening happening more and more. People are understanding and yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. How much shrinkage do you think a carcass goes through? Because the the terms traditionally have been hot carcass weight which is and correct me if I'm wrong here now the weight when that animal has literally just been killed um but then there is shrinkage in that cooling down process and by the time it say gets into your shop so how much shrinkage do you think we we should expect on a carcass
1: it's very minimal it wouldn't be 500 grams wow it's there's not a lot at all like once they're bled properly there's not much else to come out of that animal it's just a bit of blood drips out. while it's cooling down, um, but yeah, no, there's That's not bad. a lot at all. Oh
0: wow, excellent! And um, one of the other things I, I I find it hard to sometimes explain to people because we sell based on the hot carcass weight, but if yep. if someone asks for I don't know boned and rolled roasts, obviously the The weight that their animal is going to be is going to be less because there's no bone.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, how much do you think from the hot carcass weight to a boned carcass? What What do you think the difference would be if we were to, to re- literally remove every single bone, which we probably wouldn't, unless we went with back straps and everything? You know, literally the you know the whole what 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 what, what weight is the bone the skeleton?
1: A full. If you were to fully debone it, you'd be it'd be like forty five percent bone. Like I know in bone beef, uh, I reckon eighty percent of beef, cut, beef cuts are boneless.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: yes. So yeah, you do you lose about forty five percent into yeah. bone. Um. So yeah, and that's what, um, I believe the way you're selling them is like you're doing that hot carcass weight. Yep. But then there's some people that will do the weight of the actual product.
0: Yes. Per kilo.
1: Um, Yeah, per kilo. But that's, it's a different, then I think the customers looking at, they could be looking at $22 a kilo instead of $15 because um, it's just education again. You just got to educate customers why you do it like this here. Yes. That's how it is. Um, I sell a lot of whole lambs and half lambs. Um, We have a lot of Sudanese customers. They buy whole lambs and we actually, they want all the fat trimmed off so that's hard. They're buying a 20, even like there's, there's no bone being taken out, but it's a 22 kilo lamb. By the time we cut all the fat off and there's no chops or anything, it's just all cut up into curry pieces, what they call it. Mm. Um, once we, some of them will want us to weigh it afterwards and it's 18 kilos. And they're like, oh, how come we paid 20 for 22 kilos? We're only getting 18.
0: Yeah.
1: And that's what we explained to them like, this is how we purchase them with the hot weight. Yep. Um, that's the tag weight on it there is 22 kilos, we know there's only 18 kilos of meat, I can charge you for the 18 kilos, but, again, instead of being $15 a kilo, it's going to be $20 a kilo. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: so, yeah, just educating them is that's yeah. way.
0: It's just normal. It's just a normal way to sort of base, base that, yeah. And then I think if, if the, yeah, so if the bone is, is out of the cut, I mean, with lamb, the thing is, you know, the apart from well even the spine would often still be in if you if you were to cut a lamb up in a very traditional cut so whole shoulders whole legs and then the loin and chops really a lot of the bone is still present in those cuts isn't
1: it yeah even we do a fair few private lambs as well Mm. um most of them legs are just in half the bones doing that loin chops cutlets yeah the only really bone um wastage is when you cut the shoulder chops there's a little piece where the neck connects on yes um and yeah the necks normally in chops then just that little piece it's probably only about three centimeters wide from yes. the neck to the shoulders uh we trim that out and then we normally just give them half a kilo of sausages or something and we'll keep the trim yes yes yeah, so. yeah.
0: Oh, cool. That's really helpful. Thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, are there any other um, butcher terms that that perhaps lamb producers need to be aware of or would be good for us to know, do you think?
1: Um, I think just understanding that trim
0: mm-hmm.
1: it, it, because every, even with your loin chops, when we cut a loin chop, we want eight or nine, depending how thick we're cutting them, uniform chops and have the size of that out of that. So there's always maybe two or three mil off the end that we're cutting off. And normally that will go into sausages or mm. mince. Um, mm. So there's not a lot of trim, but it's always good to Some. keep an eye on. Yeah, especially doing what you're doing. There's a lot of butchers that would just, they just keep that trim. Yes. And the producer didn't know anything about it. They've mm. got their chops and their leg roast and they're happy. Yes. But there's, yeah, that trim that, yeah, we always just give them sausages for it because it's the yeah. easiest way, but yeah.
0: yeah. That's exactly what my butcher does, um, you know, and, and that's helpful for me too to sort of uh, set up expectations. If there's any trim, it'll just be in sausages so people know that they might get a little bonus, you know, kilo of sausages or something like that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: And on sausages then... Uh, and I know this is going to vary, but what would you if you were doing sausages at your in, in your um shop would how much fat versus uh meat and and is it always lamb fat that would go into the sausages
1: um yeah, if a lamb sausage only lamb fat oh, yeah. normally we would like trim our own, trim the flaps out and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. um There's a bit of silver skin that has to come off them and a membrane, but other than that they make really good sausages. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, about that 75% to 80% um, meat-to-fat ratio, yeah.
0: Mm. Yeah, okay, cool. So, oh, wow, cool. And in the carcass, the hot carcass weight again, or the hot carcass, um, Just can you just explain this to me? So when the animal comes to you, the kidneys are still attached, aren't they, to the inside of the cavity and the liver as well? Or is that from the abattoir? Is it, is it packed? Packaged separately. Do they take that out or leave it attached to the back of the back of the back? I suppose.
1: Uh kidney, everything's all offal's taken out up here.
0: Ah, oh, okay.
1: I, I think I think in New South Wales as well, the kidneys are still in. Yes, but yeah, up here all their lambs, everything's um, offal out. Oh
0: wow! So it comes separately from the abattoir to you. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we get a little bag with all their lamb offal, all their beef, ovale, all their goat yeah. offal every week.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, And do you have much call, people asking for for offal in your shop?
1: Um, Yes and no. Kidneys, they go every week, but the liver's not as big. The cellar, kidneys are no dramas to get rid of. Yeah, isn't
0: that interesting? What do you do with the liver then?
1: Uh, We actually just make pet mints. Oh, cool. Just tuck the liver in the mincer, liver, heart, and then just some fat offcuts. Yeah. Um, mainly because the liver itself is too, there's too much moisture in it, so it's very sloppy where you mm. just put a bit of fat in it to give it that bit of back and, yeah, that no, makes makes
0: yeah. good pet yes. mints. Yes. Yeah, that's cool. That's really good. So, yeah, because I, I have a cat, and no dogs, but I have a cat, and um, I recently changed the pet mints I was buying and it was really sloppy and really wet, so obviously there's more liver in that. Yeah, interesting.
1: <laughs> we do yeah. that. But chicken one, which is just straight chicken frames, yeah. uh, carcasses minced up. But, yeah.
0: Wow. Cool. Thank you. That's really interesting. Great stuff. Um, selecting carcasses for slaughter, um, I think in the industry, producers have two possible ways, and sometimes they use both at the same time. They weigh them um, and condition score them or just weigh them or just condition score them. What do you think is a good way for us as a as a producer to select a lamb
1: um I think it goes back to, again as the market you're selling into and mm. what they want uh like they're both necessary If it's no good sending a heavy lamb that's going to have a bad score and then the other way around it's no good having a really good scored lamb but it's going to be too light for the market you're trying to get into
0: yeah
1: um yeah that's a big thing if you're some I know some people will take, they're paying a little bit cheaper for their lambs and they'll take those mismatched ones, they'll take heavy lambs, light lambs, Mm -hmm. but they're getting that bit cheaper. But a lot of butchers would prefer to have a lamb that's this weight, this many mils of fat, Um, just the same for us to keep consistency.
0: Yes. If I ever send a a very big one, my my butcher always says, one of the butchers says, oh, where'd you get those ponies from, Jill? (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah how
0: would you call yeah we've well?
1: had yeah I've actually got some um their hoggets now moving on to muttons but when I or my dad first he um just come down to me from St. George 12 months ago he brought them down and we're going to put them through the shop as nice lambs but we've been so busy haven't got to them and they've turned into muttons and now they're on their way to hoggets ah turned into hoggets now they're on the way to muttons so yeah, we'll, yeah get yeah. to them soon and yeah they'll be Dressing over fifty kilos, I'll be up there
0: lots of trim, but
1: yeah, yeah, we will
0: lots of trim. I find when when we if if I do that, I just i keep the and tell me now if i'm if I'm wasting my larger animals, I keep the back straps whole and then often, and this is often if it's like if it's a dry u or something like that, keep the back straps whole and then put the shoulders. Um, and sometimes the legs into sausages or mints. What, what do you think? Am I wasting the animal?
1: Um, yeah, I think the shoulders, you could keep them and oh, slow cook, and pull, cook them pulled. The yeah, get the butcher to bone them out. Um, mm. Yeah, that'd be fine. Or just even get them bone and net them up or string them up and have a slow roast or, mm. Mm,
0: yeah, good there's goodness. nothing.
1: It's probably going to be full of flavour. Yes. Being an older you so, yes. yeah.
0: Okay, so I know we talked about um, fat being flavour. So what is it about an older animal that also, and and do we sacrifice things like tenderness when we get into an an older animal? So do older animals taste better?
1: Um, Depends who you are, really. Yeah. If you're a lot of older people, they love mutton. And Holgot, where there's not much available now, yeah. But yeah, as far as the, that's what you're sacrificing tenderness for the flavour. Okay. Same in the beef industry, they're now there's a big thing about 10, 12 year old ex dairy cows being processed, um, and their steaks are massive. They're full of fat, and they are not as tender, but yeah. they've got so much flavour in them. Um, a lot of people are drying aging them to make them till so to get a bit more tenderness, but yeah, yeah, no, that's you're definitely sacrificing tenderness for flavor. Yes.
0: yes, yes. Do is there a market at all in because I know in, in countries like Spain, for example, they have when they produce lamb, it's like three month old milk fed lamb.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I don't think I don't think Australians are up for that. <laughs> um, they could be, but there's been no. There's been no talk about it, no advertising. So, yeah, yeah I don't think they'll would even I had a lady um, during the week, she works at the shop just up from me, and she's like, how old is a lamb when it's processed? How old is really – I said, as soon as it's over 12 months, it's not a lamb anymore. Yeah. And she couldn't believe that they're under 12 months and I were eating these baby lambs and <gasps> they're so small and this and that. And, yeah, she just never understood that it was under 12 months of age yeah. that they've been processed. So, yeah, yeah, I think the – whole three-month-old thing is going to freak me out to the next level
0: yeah <laughs> isn't that funny I'd love to do one though I'd love to do like if if it was an animal that because sometimes I have quite really good at, at weaning like they're probably at their best sometimes you know at that at that yeah. age you know It'd be really cool to do one I, I'm not sure my the abattoir would like it though if I said this yeah <laughs> yeah uh, and it probably would escape from all their their different runs and everything yeah, exactly yeah,
1: anyway.
0: <laughs> so they they'd hate me, I'm sure <laughs> um we know that there are obviously different breeds of sheep. We have a bit of a chat about sort of um crossbred sheep a few minutes ago, but can you tell from a carcass if the animal is perhaps a wool breed, a um a an African breed, a British breed? Can you tell? Anything about the breed of sheep from their carcass?
1: Um, not personally, I've we mainly deal with Dorpa and Dorpa cross, so I haven't seen a lot of different breeds in my time. But I imagine there's a, some of the older butchers they'd be able to. Yes. Um, that have they've seen the changes in or the more po- the popular breeds that have come through over the years. I'd imagine they'd be able to tell the change.
0: Yeah. In them, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Great stuff. Uh, that will, well, that would make sense to why you're getting a heavier carcass weight at an earlier age if you're if you're primarily focusing on dopers and doper crosses.
1: Crossing doper, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And and why perhaps then you get ponies very very quickly.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's <absolutely>. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. they can, um, they could definitely dopers can definitely change when they get they grow very fast, but then they can change very very quickly.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's it.
0: Mm, great stuff. Um, one of the things that I'm constantly having conversations with about is this um, challenge, I think, that we have in Australia with generic lamb. And uh, I guess should should we or is there an opportunity or are we up for it to, to sort of have specialty lamb like, for example, people seem to sort of ask, or, or even in butcher shops, you'll see, you know, Angus, prime Angus or whatever. So it's not just beef, it's Angus or, I don't know, in Queensland you might have, um I don't know, do you, do you market um, Brahman or, do you know, do you market um whether it's a... Um, yeah,
1: it is. It's a lot of black Angus and yeah. this and that. But it's interesting, actually. I think that is a lot to do with just educating them again. Like mm. you can use it as a selling point, but they need to be educated into why why they should be using your breed. Yeah. Um, the reason I think is known as Black Angus is because it's been seen everywhere it's talked about. Like even McDonald's, they claim to have 100% Angus beef. So I think it's just it's in people's minds. they gone to McDonald's that day and brought a burger that's called an Angus beef burger. Yeah. Then they go into their butcher shop, see Angus beef. They're going to buy that. Yeah. Um, I think it can be done, just as so we market it correctly, and people need to be educated about why they should pick your certain breed. Okay, I think is the main thing. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So that's really something. Yeah, that I guess we we can and we we we, we do that. We we try and market our particular breed, um, and and often the the taste. And for us, we're very lucky because we using and producing a meat sheep. It's harder to get it to a good weight early, yeah, very different to a Dorper. However, when it does get to that weight, it maintains its weight and then also the flavour and the tenderness maintains it through its lifetime.
1: Yeah. So. Yeah, I think it's just going to be marketing, yeah. like, and yeah. it's going to take time for people to realise, like, how many years have McDonald's been selling Angus beef and the supermarkets in there, the same thing. You never see Dorper lamb or... Southern Downs, South Downs lambs, it's always just lamb chops. Yes. Um, but yeah, they've always they're pushing Angus beef burgers. Yes. Angus rib fillet. Yes. Um I think yes. that's all it is. Yes.
0: Have you have you eaten? Just you mentioned South Downs there. Have you eaten pure South Down?
1: No, I haven't. Oh. I um, yeah, mainly door crop here, but I had some, I got to try some Aussie White. Yes. Um, yeah, extremely tender.
0: Yeah.
1: Good flavor, but yeah, cool. They're sort of
0: yeah
1: coming through yeah. now as a bigger breed, and a lot of people are trying to get into breeding them. But they're quite yeah, expensive to they get are into. Yeah, expensive.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, well, the South Downs. I've eaten pure South Down, and I, I love when I get to eat to try and I suppose move away from that generic lamb and try and get to eat pure a, a breed or even just knowing what breed it is that I'm eating. And I don't know. You probably heard the story about the Hampshire Down. Chops that went for sale at uh, ninety nine dollars a kilo in Sydney. Did you hear that?
1: No, I didn't actually.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think it's um, you know, one of these kind of quite um fancy butcher shops, and yeah, they're they're selling this um the Hampshire down, uh, chops ninety nine dollars a kilo, which is pretty amazing when you think about it. Yeah. Uh, I
1: know the producer got out
0: of that exactly. Well, ironically, the producer is is doing a lot of marketing, and one of the things that they are very open about is the fact that well, it costs that much to produce because of the amount of grain that the animals being fed.
1: Yeah, right. Yep. So. so um,
0: yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, so they're very honest about it, and and there's a what they suggest is that that shows marbling in the meat. So, so on that then. Um do you notice a difference in different breeds or different ages of animals and and marbling can you see marbling in lamb
1: You can in like in the dorper's not so much um they're all quite consistent mm-hmm. straight meat uh sometimes in the eye fillet like at the bottom of the loin chop you can yeah. get bits of marbling through that yeah not in the lamb we produce not it's not a big thing.
0: Mm, yeah, yeah. I think I think it's it's hard for us as lamb producers to produce intramuscular fat. It, it's a it's not impossible, yeah. but it's hard. Yeah. It well, I think hard.
1: with um, like if you're doing grass fed lambs, I don't. I think that's where it becomes really hard. I think with grain,
0: mm.
1: it's yeah. It's the same with beef. Like they a hundred day grain fed beef is going to have marbling through it where if it's on coming straight out of the pastures it's not going to be as much marbling i think that's all it is if you're to even put your lambs on a diet before they're slaughtered of straight grain for four weeks um i think you'd see it see marbling coming through yeah yeah yeah
0: the thing um i don't think cows are quite as sensitive even though they are still sensitive but for for a producer to change the diet of a lamb for just that amount of time, it's really quite difficult because the rumen takes two weeks to adjust.
1: Yeah, yeah and they could drop weight in that first initial yeah. period of changing over. and Yeah. yeah. And it, re- it's, it comes down to the individual animal. Some of them will react to it straight away and put on yeah. 10 kilos just like that. Other ones will lose weight first, then start on so yeah
0: that's yeah that's exactly it so it's and, and maybe you breeds. can't
1: see yeah that's, you can't see inside of them to see what they're actually doing all you know is that the weight's going up or down yeah you can't tell what the yeah. meat's actually doing but.
0: no you can't they can't one of the things we do which we find helpful from a breeding point of view is we do eye muscle scanning
1: yeah right yeah. like an ultrasound or
0: yeah it's exactly like an ultrasound so we scan um, all our ewe, new, new maiden ewe lambs every year. And obviously we scan the rams too, but I mean, they're much, there's much fewer rams than there are ewes. And then we, well, for me anyway, I make um, breeding decisions because if I might have, you know, for, for me I might have, I don't know, 70, 80, 90, 100 ewe lambs and I've got, I can't keep them all every year. You've got to make some decisions. And if they're all, you know, looking good structurally, then I've got to look underneath the skin to see. Yeah. 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 So it's really good. And the, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. 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 Probably thinking, a good
1: way to make a decision.
0: That's exactly it. That's exactly it. I yeah, think like you chasing you've those
1: better generics.
0: That's exactly it. Yeah. And so you're, yeah, you're getting that, you're getting that x ray vision almost. So you can actually see what's going on. and um, what we know is that I think the width is um, genetic and the depth is environment, one or the other. Um, so again, yeah, okay.
1: yeah.
0: yeah you get to, to sort of see that, and the, then they do this eye muscle analysis um, on it as well. And so with the eye muscle, then is it, it's it's the the lo- so the loin chop is the equivalent to the eye muscle, isn't that right? Eh,
1: yeah. Yes. Yeah, and so then, where it sort of dips down off the back, off the hind leg where the rump is, it sort of dips down a little bit and that's coming into the loin there.
0: Yeah.
1: And, yeah, that's the eye muscle there. That's the eye that's muscle. The
0: yeah. And then the cutlet, is, is the cutlet just the end of the eye muscle?
1: Um, yeah, the cutlet's moving into where your ribs start. So yeah. from your waist up, there's no ribs and then your ribs start and then yeah. all the way up to your shoulders. So, yeah. Yeah. Right.
0: yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think I um one of the things that constantly comes out of our, out as a conversation piece when we have visitors over is the you know the chart with the animal and all the yeah. numbers on it and things like that. It's it's yeah. a useful thing for yeah. people to see.
1: Yeah, a lot of people don't understand it, and yeah, just having that there, they it's yeah. a quick and easy way to yeah. explain how what's going on.
0: Yeah, that's exactly it. So we can we can sort of help people understand what an animal is. Like I had one customer, and a lot of my podcast listeners will know because I've told this story so many times where I delivered the meat. They asked, they they put in an order and they put in their cut list and then when um, they got their lamb delivered, they were like, uh, okay, Jill, um, sorry, my favourite cut isn't here. And I said, oh, what's your favourite cut? Oh, the backstrap. And also I didn't get any racks and, you know, <laughs> But they got the cutlets and they got the loin chops.
1: <laughs> yeah, one or the other. Sorry. One or the
0: other. And this is where, again, like, ah, okay. Or my favourite, um, where are the other two legs, Jill?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's um, hard even, got to get cutlets, they don't understand how many lambs actually have to be broken to produce three or four kilos of cutlets. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's it's yeah. I, I, yeah because I, I know we've got it. we have a challenge when restaurants contact us wanting you know, x amount of cutlets every week at a yeah. dollar a cutlet. Mm. <laughs> uh. Not going to happen. <laughs>
1: uh.
0: Not going to happen. So as 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 lamb producers, what do you think we can do to produce better quality carcasses and and of course for you the two things really are the weight and the and the fat coverage. So what do you think we can do better?
1: Um I think just the consistency of feed. Mm. And like you're saying, you scan their eye muscles. That's mm. one it's insurance of knowing what exactly what you've got.
0: Yeah.
1: Um and yeah, just knowing there's a lot of people that they're out in the paddock, they don't know what they're eating they give them hay today and grain tomorrow whatever they can but yeah that consistency of feed all the time making sure they're getting the nutrients they need is a massive thing yeah
0: yeah great one thank you and um what would your top tips be about cooking lamb how how do you think we should be cooking lamb and and I guess we could you know obviously different methods of cooking but what do you think what are some tips
1: rosemary and garlic that's all you (laughs) need to cook lamb (laughs) Um, I reckon like a butterflied lamb leg, frozen, heaps of garlic, olive oil, salt and pepper, and then in the Weber for about an hour and a half Mm -hmm. with some roast veggies and gravy. Can't beat it.
0: Isn't that great? Isn't that great? And it actually doesn't take very uh, long. When you take that bone out, it doesn't take long to cook it.
1: No, once it's butterflied, like the top side and the knuckle are cut in Mm -hmm. half. They're the biggest um, muscles in there. Once they're cut in half and then we always – Sort of like pork, we score it a little bit to open that meat up more, Um, also to get the flavour, get your garlic and rosin down in there and the salt and pepper. But, yeah, yeah, it cooks super quick and, yeah, it's really good.
0: That's great. Love it, love it, love it. And considering you've achieved so much in your sort of short short career, not just with your awards and, and so on, but actually, you know, having your own butchering business, who who has helped you? Who's been most influential? Who's who's really sort of been a role model for you, Lucky?
1: Um, top three, probably when I first went to the IGA in St. George, it was a, I was still on apprenticeship, it was a different environment to what I was used to. I we weren't interacting with customers as much. Like we had a little door there, people would come to it. Um, I had a few managers and we were really struggling to get managed then. So there was a lot of um, South Africans coming so that put them on a visa. And we had a couple and I was ready to leave the industry. I was sick of it, sick of my books, um, sick of butchering at a supermarket. And then I had Byron Frontman. He came over from South Africa. He was a manager for me. And um, he sort of, he made me fall in love with it again. Like he helped me through it. He He was like people think we are just supermarket butchers, but we went on and won best meat department of the year and that sort of stuff. And, um, like, he knew I had a passion for it and he just guided me to staying there and helped me through my books. And so without him, I wouldn't be – probably wouldn't even be butchering today.
0: Wow.
1: Um, Yeah, so that was the start. And then next would be Roger Ellison. He was my boss when I first moved to Boomba. He's not actually a butcher himself, but he – he owned the butcher shop. His son was a butcher. His son was another butcher shop they went to after that. Um, so I had another manager in there. But he's, yeah, he taught me all through that um, business mm-hmm. side of stuff, and then a lot about the farming side. He's a farmer. He sent all his own meat to his butcher shops, so and now I still buy. That's where I buy all my lambs and beef off now. Mm-hmm. So I talk to him three, four times a week, every this week. Is your dad. So. No, no, this is oh. just a. He was my first boss when I moved Oh, the down first here. boss.
0: Okay, cool. Oh, wow. So this, you're buying meat off them now. That's amazing.
1: Yeah, the same, it's the same oh. fellow I purchased the shop off. Um, who I, yeah, so it was good to build that relationship with him. So it wasn't like I was going to a shop trying yeah. to find supplies and stuff. I brought the shop off him and then, yeah, he continued to supply us. And yeah, we've, but so he knows exactly what, like, like I was saying, the 22 and 24 kilos mm. with three to four mil fat he knows exactly what i'm looking for yeah. um and that's what we get every week so right. i think that's the main thing having those relationships and mm. yeah if you can that's the way to go yeah uh and then finally be tony morgan was my trainer during my apprenticeship if there was like anything ever needed even to this day if i've got a new idea or something i want to do with the shop yeah. i call him um yeah he's one who actually he helped me at the start and then he just pushes me to be better and try, I think, down a comfort zone like competition butchery. Yeah. Started with a world schools competition. I've done that and then he said, oh, but there's an opportunity if you want to go to the Queensland team and compete in Mel- Meatstock Melbourne.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: so, yeah, that's how I got down there. Oh, wow. Isn't
0: that great? Was that through TAFE Queensland or, or another school?
1: Uh, Axel, Axel Training oh, is the okay. provider, yeah. And he's one, oh, I think he's one like uh, meat retail trainer of the year for with five years running or six wow. years running or something. He's, yeah, that's no, very good. He's still, he's training my apprentice now. So oh, cool wow.
0: So. Oh, that's so cool. So he's a specialty training organisation specialising in butchering.
1: Yeah, yeah, in meat retail. He's He was a butcher himself all around Toomba, managed a fair few shops and then, yeah, got into the training role.
0: Right, maybe that's a, a future career for you, wouldn't you? You know, before you take over the world, lucky. <laughs> yeah. How good is that? Ah, oh, isn't it so good to have those role models, those mentors to help us along the way? It's so so valuable.
1: Yeah, no, it is so good, and yeah, yeah building those relationships, I can still call any one of them now if I yeah. need something or want to be advice with whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think the, the red meat industry's had a bit of a, and still sometimes has some backlash and some bad press and things like that. So what, what do you think we could do to improve the the red meat industry? What, what suggestions might there be?
1: Um, I think just education. We're mm. heading in the right direction now. Every week I've got new customers coming in and more and more people are understanding the importance of knowing where their meat's coming from yeah. and how it's been raised and, is it grass mm. fed, grain fed, this and that? Uh, more and more people are starting to ask those questions. So I think mm. there obviously is things in the media that will pull the industry back. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think moving forward from now until ten years time, it's only it's gonna get really good mm. um going forward now, yeah, with the education
0: yeah. that's
1: been put out there. MLA Australia, they are always posting stuff about it and yeah, just educating mm. people. So
0: yeah, that's great. Yeah, I know after Meatstock I also had a conversation with um, one of the writers for Meat News as well. So I think there's there's a lot of good positivity in the industry.
1: Yeah, there is. It's mainly media that dragged it down. Something mm-hmm. might happen with live exports and then mm-hmm. that comes back on butchers and farmers in Australia. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's mainly mm-hmm. the bigger picture is education and, yeah, we're heading in the right direction, I believe.
0: Love it, love it, love it. Great stuff. So, um, if anyone, whether they're a butcher or maybe they're up in Queensland and they want to do private lambs, where can people connect with you online?
1: Uh, my Facebook and Instagram is at UniPlaza Meats.
0: Yeah, great stuff. So go follow Lockie at UniPlaza Meats. Thank you so much, Lockie. It's been so much fun talking to you. I really appreciate all the support and um, uh, and all the information you've been able to share. So thank you so much.
1: No I've all, thanks for having me on the show.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sheep Show podcast. Please take a moment to share this episode via your podcast app, email, or social media channels. Each share helps us reach listeners just like you who can benefit from our sheep-focused content. Let me know how your sheep journey is going. Contact me via Instagram at Holston Valley Farm or via email jill at halstonvalleyfarm.com.au. Until next time, sheep well.